Well, good morning and welcome to St Mary's this morning on this rather cool July morning, but you've got a very warm welcome from me. Um, it's great to have those of you who are here in church and for those of us you joining online, it's lovely to have you as well. Um, if you're new to St Mary's, it's really great that you've joined us today. My name's Chris Fry, and I'm one of the church members here. And later in the service, Andrew Redbond um, will be speaking to us on Matthew 24, how to live in the now, being ready. And if you're joining online... This is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. And this is Jesus talking about the end times. His disciples asked him... What will happen at the end days? And this was part of his answer. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood... People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. 
the bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. start with a prayer dear Lord we pray that uh, just as you taught uh, originally the disciples at this time that you will uh, speak to us uh, through your spirit that we may uh, learn from this passage and uh, be better able to serve you and uh, live to your glory amen yeah so how to live in the now. Being ready is the, um, the theme today. And uh, as uh, um, you learned from the reading, the passage we're looking at gives us uh, Jesus' answer to a question the disciples had asked him earlier. And uh, this is the question. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to them privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So it's like the disciples have taken Jesus aside and talked to him privately and said, so all this about the end of the age, when, when, when is it going to happen? What will it be the signs for it? Now last week we saw, we looked at what the signs would be. And uh, today we're looking at Jesus' answer to the question, when will it happen? I sort of wondered to myself whether uh, when the disciples asked that, they, they, they had some sort of calendar or a diary and they were going to make a note of it, you know. But what date is that, Jesus? Uh, we became sure, though, that they didn't have one of these, and, uh, which would actually ping up and say, tomorrow Jesus returns. Okay, better get ready. But they didn't have that, but all the same, uh, we need to be ready. No one knows the day or the hour. That's my first um, point to look at. You could have summarized this sermon very quickly, really. When will it be? No one knows. Not even the angels. Not even the sun, Jesus says. Jesus does not know either. Only the Father knows the answer to that. So he is the Son of God, but also he is fully human, isn't he? So while on earth... Um, there are some things that are limitations to what he can do. And it seems from this passage 
a limit to what he can know in some cases. So as we read the passage, uh, Jesus makes two things very clear. First of all, you won't know the day or the hour. And that comes at verse 36, the beginning of our passage, that you won't know the day or the hour. And then right at the end he says the same thing. Therefore keep watch. This is verse 13 of 25. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. It's often important to note that if, if the same thing comes at the beginning and the end of the passage. You won't know. But the second thing, theme that comes right through is not only won't you know, but it's going to come at a time when you don't expect it. Verse 44, for example. Those two things are different. That you won't know and you won't expect it either. Because... Say your child, you know, you, they come home from school and you know it's roughly about four o'clock. You don't know exactly when, but you know you have an idea it's going to happen. But if the child comes home at 11 o'clock in the morning, that's a shock. You didn't expect it. It's a surprise. So, so to here. Now, many of you will know that there have been a whole lot of people down through the ages who have tried to predict this date despite what Jesus has just said. And there still are. A lot of people thought the year 2000 would be the day. And many of these people who have done this have professed to be Christians, and they spent years delving into passages of Scripture, looking at the world events, trying to identify the date. There was some guy called Michael Stiffel, I think that's how you pronounce it, who was a mathematician as well as a Christian. And he predicted that Jesus would return at 8 o'clock in the morning on the 19th of October, 1533. I think this is a misquote, but it's something like this. Somebody said, the worthy gentleman would not venture to be any more specific. <laughs> now, I would venture to say that if Jesus doesn't know the date, then it's kind of unlikely that anybody else will. Furthermore, just follow this logic for a minute, if you did come up with a date, then it's got to be wrong. Because, of course, then it wouldn't be unexpected, would it? So it's a puzzle. Why do people try to predict it? I guess we, uh, like the disciples, it appears, want to know when things are going to get wrapped up. When will be the end of all history? We, sort of, want to know what the future is. But maybe there are things, details, that it might be better that we didn't know. Certainly spending all your time trying to second guess that day is a huge distraction. Not to say something that would lead to disillusionment. Not to even say perhaps that it's blasphemous. Because if Jesus says only God knows, are we trying to rest, wrestle from him that for ourselves? Better for us to get on serving him and the gospel message. So then the question might be, what are we to do with, that, with this information? How is it going to um, uh, affect us? I mean, we know that the, uh, that the second coming is coming, but we don't know when. So how should we live with that knowledge? What impact would that have on our lives? Well, Jesus, in the rest of this passage, gives us three parables which illustrate how we are to apply this. And here they are. Therefore, keep watch or be expectant, perhaps. Be faithful and be ready. Be prepared. 
So let's look at those three parables. First of all, there's keep watch. So here's a parable with uh, somebody with a household where a thief is going to come at night time. Um, and Jesus says if, if the person knew that they were coming, then they could be ready for them. Now the main point, I think we could be distracted by some of this parable, but the main point is that it illustrates that the thief uses the element of surprise. That's his main thing. That's his chief weapon. The thief isn't going to send you a text saying, I'm coming to nick your stuff. It will come as a surprise. Uh, years ago, when I lived in a village where there were a lot of people with you know, wealthy houses, and um, you don't have a wealthy house, you know what I mean, a big house. And uh, <clears throat> there was one lady that we knew, and uh, she opened the front door, and as she was entering the hall, there was somebody coming down the stairs. And she said, who are you? And he said, I'm the burglar. <laughs> and then ran out the door. It, it came as a surprise to her, probably actually to him as well, as it happens. Um, but if she knew, if she were ready, that would make a difference. So therefore, keep watch, is what Jesus says. But here, the thing is this. What does that mean exactly, to keep watch? Because it like conjures up images of standing in your bedroom window, looking out for hours every day, to see you know, whether the sky goes funny, or whether Jesus is coming. Well, perhaps it's easier to think of this in terms of expectation. What do we expect? Jesus says in verse 37, it will be as in the days of Noah, where people will be eating and drinking. They'll be marrying and giving in marriage. They're going about their everyday life, uh, as they always have done, with no expectation that anything is going to happen. And today... There are many, many people who wouldn't give it a second thought. Go about their life with no reference to God, no belief or faith in his promise that the one who gave his life for us and was gloriously raised from the dead will one day come again to reign. Maybe that all seems so far-fetched to them, but then so did the destruction of the temple until it happened. But it gives us if we believe, a completely different view of life, if we know and expect that Jesus one day will return. It will shape how we live and how we think. History then, for example, is going somewhere. It's not some random, meaningless thing. The end of history will see the return of the King, who is our personal saviour, who knows us, and knows what it is to be human. It is then, for those who trust in him, nothing to fear or dread, but something to hold as an eager expectation, the coming of joy and of glory. Uh, recently on the BBC website, they had this picture of uh, a load of football fans celebrating, as many of us have been in the last few days. And it's, uh, underneath there was this caption, only football can make you feel like this. I dare say there are some of you who might differ with that if you don't like football. I admit that it did make me feel really good. But it will be nothing compared with the celebrations when Christ returns. 
when we know there's no more death or suffering and that love reigns. Maybe you think that sometimes we get ourselves caught up with all material things that we don't see it, do we? That we carry on as if life is all there is. Maybe if we were in some North Korean prison for our faith, then it might seem a whole lot more obvious how great this promise really is. And I often reflect uh, how very profound thing it is that the gospel and God's promises make more sense, they have more impact for the poor and the oppressed than they do for the wealthy and comfortable. So we are to watch, be expectant. Secondly, we are to be faithful. So Jesus now brings in another story and he looks at the whole thing from another angle. The picture switches to this servant who's left in charge of the household. And he gets to thinking, well, look, look, the master's gone for a long time. Maybe I can just do what I want. Uh, Mistreat people, behave badly. Because it doesn't matter, I can fix that later. The delusion of this servant is that he thinks he has plenty of time to put things right. When in fact he hasn't a clue how much time he has. Now I think that's so true of uh, human thinking that in my experience people think I can wait uh, to think about God and heaven and all that stuff when I'm older. I'll investigate Jesus' claims some other time. But if the pandemic has taught us anything, then it's taught us that we never know what's around the corner. Things can change very quickly. But it's not just that, actually. Someone reflected recently that most people, when they reach the end of their life, do so with the same attitude that they have held on to in the rest of their life. If they have known Jesus in their life, then they die with that knowledge, with that faith. If they have rejected or ignored him, then they die with the same attitude. It's not always easy to change the habit you've got into and the road that you are on. Better to get right with him today when you hear him. From Hebrews, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Now is the day of salvation. So what will Jesus find us doing when he returns? What, of course, the master wanted uh, in this parable was a servant who would behave in the same faithful way whether he knew that the master was near or not. Okay, third thing. Be prepared, be ready. So we have this parable of the ten virgins, which... Uh, maybe it's me, but this does seem a sort of a bit of a weird story. Does, does that ring through with you? Um, you might say, I've never been to a wedding like this. But in fact, it's far from a, a made-up story. This is actually, one writer put it, a slice of life in a Jewish village in Palestine at the time. And it would seem, in many cases still, this is actually the sort of wedding that people would have known about. In the Jewish village, a wedding is very different from what we know. Let me try and explain. The bride and the groom would not go on honeymoon. 
What they do is they go to the house, their new house, with a whole bunch of their friends and relatives, and they celebrate for about a week. How they get there is that the bride, the groom, he goes and picks up the bride and the whole of the bridal party, which would, incidentally, include these ten young women who are supporting the bride and leading her with these lamps. And he would go there and collect them, and then they would go on the procession through the village, maybe picking up a whole bunch of people on the way, celebrating right and go on a meandering route, get to the house and shut the door. <clears throat> the key thing about this is the bridal party will not know when the groom is coming. Now, we have a wedding and people get upset if the bride's five minutes late. But they would not have known, they wouldn't have a clue. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be in the middle of the night, actually, which is what it was in the reading. They don't know. In fact, it had become a custom, apparently, that the groom would try and catch out the bridal party and come when they didn't know. So you're beginning to see why Jesus would pick this actual story. Well, I'm thinking, we think this, uh, some of these customs are weird, but then we trash some of the, you know, the bride and the groom's car and put cans hanging on the back and so on. So maybe we've got some pretty weird customs. But, so let's look at the ten virgins, the ten young women who are in the bridal party. So they must be ready because they don't know when this groom is going to come. And five of them in the story are described as foolish because they have not prepared properly. They don't have oil enough to last. If they don't know when he's coming, they should have had more oil. Now, the thing is, you're not allowed on the streets at night if you haven't got a lamp. Interestingly, though, these five would look just like the other five. They would look as if they prepared. They have all the gear, they've got the lamp. And they're waiting with the others. They're in, or look like they're in the same position, but they are not. So how can we then relate this to how we are? Well, significantly, the groom says to the ones who are shut out, I don't know you, verse 12. We need to know and have trusted in Jesus Christ for ourselves and sought his forgiveness, acknowledged him as our Lord and as our Saviour, or we are not prepared for his coming. And this is brought out by two other important points in the story. Firstly, there are certain things which cannot be borrowed from someone else. For them, they could not borrow the oil from the other girls. For us, we cannot rely upon the faith of someone else. Just because we have a friend who is a Christian, or we have one of our family who is a Christian, we may even be sympathetic to that belief, but it doesn't make it our faith or Jesus our Lord. We need to have our own relationship with him to be prepared to meet with him. Secondly, there are certain things which, cannot, which you cannot get at the last minute. They went looking to buy some oil, but for us it could be other things. When you, other examples, like 
you, you want this third stage skill. You've always meant to, to learn it, but suddenly it's called upon. You need it, but you don't know it. Or maybe it comes to the day of an exam and uh, you realize that actually you've not done anywhere near enough revision or study. But it's too late. It's the day. Some things are too late. For the young women, they got to the door and it was too late. That is a very sobering thought. We need to keep and heed the warning here. Get to know him while we can. So then, we are to watch and we are to expect his return. We are to be faithful as we live in the now. And we are to be ready, prepared to meet him when he comes. Amen.